Hey guys, thanks for tuning us in for this 57th episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests for this episode include comedian, actor, and writer Rory Scovel. We'll also visit with author and businessman Stedman Graham. Actor Tony Dalton will visit with us about the latest season of Better Call Saul. Singer Taylor Dane will take an interview from a couple years ago as she released her first holiday single. And our final guest will be country superstar Travis Tritt. Talks about a release of a live album back in February 2017. If you would, please take the time to subscribe, drop a like, comment, leave some feedback, and of course, share with your friends. Our first guest from earlier this year was Rory Scovel. We talk about the new series, Robbie. You can pick up on Comedy Central. You can also stream it as well. First off, Rory, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. I have nothing but time, so thank you for uh, actually <laughs> come on to the show. I appreciate that. Now, you, you, speaking of that, the whole thing with Robbie uh, was originally going to start and uh, and be followed by streaming, but uh, you guys have something special going along with uh, the quarantine as well, right? Yeah, we we decided uh, that. Uh, I mean, I, I I ultimately have no no say over the, the, <laughs> the show. It, you know, once you once you turn it in, you 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 wait and see what's going to happen. But yeah, it's kind of great that we're getting to premiere uh, on TV, and and hopefully people tune in to to check it out. But but I think the great thing about it is that it'll all be bingeable and and streaming immediately following that premiere. So if if people you know, do enjoy the show uh, and they want to see more and they want to watch it kind of on their own schedule, they'll actually be able to do that through uh, YouTube and, and Comedy Central website and their app and stuff. So, yeah. Now, now tell our listeners if they haven't seen the previews or the trailers about, about Robbie, uh, uh, a little of this, the backstory. Uh, obviously, you, you've got a little bit of a hand in this as well. Yeah, so I uh, the the character Robbie was one that I sort of did in my stand up every now and then, and uh, then the, finally a, a buddy of mine, Scott Moran, was like, you know, you really should do something with that character in terms of a bigger uh, story. And so uh, we we had pitched this show to Comedy Central, and and what people will see when they tune in is the the story of this guy Robbie, who is a church league basketball coach who wants to become a high school basketball coach like his father, uh, played by Bo Bridges on the show, and, and, and still saying that out loud, that Bo Bridges was on this show feels so absurd, um, but he was on the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he is retiring, and, and so my character, Robbie, wants to take his job, despite the fact that I'm extremely unqualified for it, I just kind of want stuff to be handed to me. And the day that I have an interview to go get the job or to try to get the job, um, I find out that I have a child, 10-year-old child from a past relationship with Sashir Zamata. And uh, so I, it, that kind of throws a wrench in my plan for that particular day, which is the pilot. And then uh, it's kind of the launching point for the whole series. This guy who's kind of, an, you know, he, he's not a jerk, but he's an idiot kind of learning how to be a better person. And uh, he's got to learn how to be a father, something he did not expect uh, to have to do. And, and Rory, as a as a comedian, to to have a, kind of a character that you've that you've created in stand up, to have it come full circle now, have a, a series made out of it on Comedy Central. I mean, how validating is that uh, to your comedy work as well? 
Yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, you when you get into uh, finally building up the courage to get on stage and even try stand up, uh, you're you're, you're, you're all you can think about in the future is just getting through the next three minutes of talking to this you know group of strangers at a coffee shop, um, and then uh, over time uh, when you realize that there might be bigger aspirations, there might be bigger goals that you can achieve. Um, you kind of put those in your mind and, and you kind of don't totally know if you'll ever actually get to do it. So I, I got to say the fact that uh, we we created a show off this character and, and, and wrote it and shot it and cut it up and, 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 and now it's going to be on TV. It, it's very surreal. It's very surreal to, uh, to have made a show. You know, I watched Comedy Central growing up and that's, you know, where I really first started seeing uh, any kind of stand-up. So to now have a show that's affiliated with them, it, it really is surreal. I kind of don't fully believe that it's actually uh, happening. And then at the same time, it just feels incredibly cool to, to have made it and, and to be proud of it because I know a lot of us in, in the art world, you make stuff that maybe you don't necessarily like. I'm, I'm very grateful that I, I actually like the product we made, whether everyone loves it or hates it or whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I can sleep at night knowing I at least like it. There you go. Now, uh, taking on the other side, uh, behind the scenes as well, did, did, how much extra pressure are you, had, did you put on yourself through the production process? You know, I think I, I, all of that being kind of new to me, uh, there is this sort of fake it till you make it vibe of, you know, show up and act like you've been there, despite the fact that you've never, <laughs> you've never been there. So, uh, I, I put a little bit of pressure on myself just to make sure that uh, the rest of the cast or the crew or, or anybody else knew that while I might not be the guy who, um, has the answers, uh, in terms of what we were, what we were doing or, or what our days looked like, I, I wanted to make sure everybody knew that I wasn't uh, there to, to, to be, uh, an issue. I, I wanted everyone to know that I was a team player willing to listen and learn and, and kind of absorb the whole experience. And I, you know, when you watch so much TV to actually get to make a show, it is a true education on, uh, on how things work. I, I gotta say, after making a TV show, when I watch anything now, knowing what it takes to make something, even if you make something that is awful, make no mistake, that was still very hard <laughs> So when you watch a show or a movie that you think is truly insanely good, just know that that is so hard to pull off. It's it's incredible. And again, the uh, the show the is going to debut after uh, the the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Rory, I want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can find out more information, not only about the show but uh, everything else you've got going on as well. Yeah, anything that I I have, uh, all my uh, social media stuff is just at Rory Scovel. Uh, website is the same, just RoryScovel.com, where I post every anything I'm doing performance-wise or or uh, clips and stuff like that. And then for the for Robbie, uh, myself, and and the whole cast and everybody will be posting stuff nonstop on Instagram. Uh, it, you know, while it's bingeable, the show being bingeable and everything, and leading up to the the premiere. But uh, yeah, I think Comedy Central's website and Comedy Central's app, and then uh, Comedy Central's YouTube page. If uh, if anybody sees that premiere and they really like it, just know uh, there's seven more episodes they can they can binge and uh, they're available. All right. Well, Rory, it is. Uh, it's been great to visit with you this morning. Looking forward to the new series, and uh, hopefully we can visit again real soon, my friend. I, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, hopefully in in person. We'll we'll get back to those days soon enough. <laughs> Our next guest, Stedman Graham. 
We talk about the new book, Identity Leadership, released in May 2019. First off, Mr. Graham, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm always excited about uh, uh, getting the message out around identity leadership. Identity leadership is self-leadership based on the philosophy that you cannot lead anybody else until you first lead yourself. So, you know, it's all about self-efficacy, self-mastery, self-development, which is very difficult sometimes to do because you're, you know, stuck in the world where you're doing the same thing over and over every single day. If you did the same thing you did yesterday as you would do today, as you would do tomorrow, what have you done? Nothing. And most of what we learn in school, we memorize, take tests, repeat the information back, get labeled with blade, and two weeks later we forget the information. So nothing for nothing is nothing. So the most important question is, do you know who you are? Do you have an identity? Which is why we, we, I call it identity leadership, because when you know who you are, you know how to take information and education and make it relevant to your purpose in life, to your talents, to your abilities, to your skills, to all of those things that make you who you are. You're able to have a competitive edge in the 21st century. And and what what does it take for somebody to be able to figure out who they really are? I mean, that seems like a, a, a that's that age old question that we've been asking for for for, for generations. Yeah, you know what? It took me all of my life to really, and I still work on it all the time to define it, but uh, love is the simplest way to understand how to organize, uh, you know, who you are. Uh, because you can have a positive identity uh, or a negative identity. It's only positive and negative. That's that's it. Good or bad, will or won't, can or can't, looking at the glass, I think you have full. So we deal with so much... Um, of our background and history that, you know, it's hard to get down to the core of who we are based on what we love and what we're passionate about. That's why purpose and passion and love and talents and skills are all related. So when you focus on that, you at least have a, a, a way to build a base that, that you can organize information around. The key is, is that can you, can you develop a, a learning process that will allow you to grow, develop, build, innovate, and create based on a focus? If you don't have a focus, you're kind of all over the place. You've got 60,000 thoughts a day, and pretty much you don't know where you're going, and you're confused. So to sit with yourself, to think, think is the key word, cognitive ability to think about how you take the resources of the world and make that relevant to you, so that you can control your own destiny, empower yourself, create social economic development around you, right? Mm-hmm. Work on you, you know, work on your health, work on your family, work on your work, work on focus, learn, get up, get, get some books, and read about how to do it. It's the how. I never understood how. They just said to me, you know, go to school, get a job, all that, fine. But how do you maximize your potential? How do you utilize your talents and skills to perform at the highest possible level based on the opportunity we have now, especially with technology? And uh, where was it in your life that that that, that switch finally triggered for you? Well, it finally triggered for me, first of all, when you don't know who you are, the world defines you by your your race and your house and your car, your family, you know, your job, all of that, so your religion. And so I had a race-based consciousness, and it took me about 31 years. I was traveling around the world with this gentleman named Bob Brown, who's a mentor of mine, and I worked for him, and I realized that I had it all wrong. You, you were defined so much by your race, 
your problem is you don't know who you are. There's people of color all around the world making things happen. You don't understand the process of success, and you don't know who you are. And I was defined by my family. I had two special needs brothers in my family. I had low self-esteem or lack of confidence. And so I used to, you know, hold that. I mean, I, you know, I was a victim of that. And, and I said, that has nothing to do with, with who you are. So, you know, you, you, you have no sense of self. You have no basis for learning and developing and growing. And you don't read a lot. I read one book in high school. This is my 12th book. So what was the difference? I realized, oh, it's about the information. It's about the content. If I can learn to take that content and make it relevant to my purpose so I can grow and develop, I can actually move the needle. Mm-hmm. I can actually create a vision. I can cre- actually actually create a plan. I can actually build a value system around that. And I can actually control my own destiny. And especially you, you mentioned it with technology the way it is. I mean, it's an opportunity for, I mean, anybody can go viral at any moment uh, based on the content, right? It's a beautiful thing. And as you know, you're around it. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to get the message right. What is the message? How do you communicate it effectively? How do you focus on empowerment so that you can raise your social economic opportunities for yourself and your family and your community and your country? How do you actually do that as opposed to just, you know, you get out of school, you go to work, you, you know, you're doing all the other things, you spend all this time with this technology, using it the wrong way, it's not relevant to your development, you're being programmed based on the content, you know, you become a consumer, you know, as, a, as opposed to producer, mm-hmm. or you're not producing anything that's relevant to your development. You do this over and over, you know, you waste all this time you know, 30, 40 years and, and have no more in the end than you had in the beginning, you can't move off the, off, you can't move the needle. And, and what do you think is the biggest misconception about making the change in your life? It's that you can't do it. <laughs> and what I learned is that the process of success is, is you know, every, everything. The process of success is relevant to everybody. You know, Oprah came, came from, uh, you know, she came from Kosciuszko, Mississippi. She came from, you know, she had an outhouse. She came from, you know, a um, uh, broken family. She came juvenile delinquent. She, and, and she rose up, right, because of her thinking. Not because she was supposed to be uh, doing what she'd been doing for 25 years, the number one show. That's not a that, that wasn't in the cards for her. She didn't, you couldn't. You couldn't write that up. You couldn't make that up. And so the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that the process of success is the same thing, but you've got to figure what, how it works, and it works with purpose. It starts with purpose. It starts with loving yourself. It starts with being positive. It starts with working on yourself. It starts with understanding the value of content and information. The good book says, be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's about changing your thinking every day. Everyone is equal because everybody has 24 hours. The question is, what do you do with your time? That's right. And again, the new book, Identity Leadership, uh, available now. And uh, Sedman, always want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can keep up with everything you've got going on as well. Well, uh, they can go to stedmangram.com, and pretty much that will that's the roadmap. <laughs> there you go. Well, again, uh, Mr. Graham, it has truly been an honor and a privilege to visit with you this morning. Looking forward to, uh, to, to thumbing through the book myself. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Up next is actor Tony Dalton. We talk about the latest season of Better Call Saul. 
First off, Tony, thanks so much for your time this morning. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good morning. Thanks a lot. And uh, obviously, uh, Better Call Saul has been a, a huge hit. And, and for you to be involved and be a part of something that has got such a following, I mean, how cool is that? No, it's amazing. I mean, you know, this um, this career uh, it just it never ceases to, to, to amaze me. You know, one day you're doing a audition and the next day you're, uh, you know, the bad guy in, uh, in one of the best shows on TV. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing, really. It's a blessing. Now, now, how close do you find uh, Tony to, to the character of Lolo, or, or, or where did you draw inspiration from? Um, well, not that close, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, the guy's a psychopath, you know. Um, but uh, I guess, uh, I, I, you know, I just kind of grabbed uh, little things from everywhere, just also some things that I, um, I made up, just, you know, from the walk and from the way that he that he moves and stuff, but there was a little bit, like I gotta, I gotta admit, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction, that Samuel L. Jackson character, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that sort of, uh, this sort of hitman with a smile kind of thing, sort of, sort of a loud mouth, kind of, kind of had a little bit of that uh, in, 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 in Lalo. And to, to see the, the, the following that it's had, obviously, like you said, uh, you go to auditions and, and you never know how things are going to turn out. What do you think it is about Better Call Saul that, uh, that, that folks is, uh, has really grabbed a hold of them? Well, I mean, to be honest, I think that the, the, the number one thing is the writing. Um, these guys, uh, you know, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan and the whole team of writers, those guys, uh, they're just so meticulous and, and, and so good at their craft that, you know, the correct the character development just starts getting better and better and you care so much about these characters and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> sorry, um, things start to happen where, uh, where you care more, you know? I mean, it's sort of like, like little by little. It kind of happened in, in, in Breaking Bad with, uh, with Walter White. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything starts going crazy after after a couple of seasons. And it's a little bit the same, uh, you know, same thing going on here. I mean, it just, I think that the character development got a little deeper. The guy doesn't sort of break bad that easily. But it is that same idea of a guy who, you know, because of everything that's happening around him, has no other choice but to become this person, which is, uh, you know, from Jimmy McGill to Saul. And I think that's interesting for everybody, you know, just, you know, anybody watching it is kind of like, yeah, I guess if I was kind of put into this situation, I would also have to become sort of that kind of person, you know, just a regular average Joe, you know, going uh, to the dark side, you know. And where was it uh, in your life that, that you knew that acting, performing was, was something that was that was in your blood that you just had to do? And how hard was the, was the trip down the road? Obviously, uh, ups and downs. So on Broadway, off Broadway, and things like that. Where where uh, where was the first break for you? When did you know that uh, that you had really made the right decision? 
Wow, it took a long time, to be honest with you. I mean, like years, years. I mean, I was a waiter for a long time in New York, uh, five years, and it just wasn't working, you know? Uh, went to L.A., that didn't work out either. I mean, you know, not even little, nothing, no gigs, no nothing, you know? And then finally, um, in in Mexico, I, uh, I I wrote a movie that that that, that I starred in, that got made, and it became pretty successful. And that's the first time I saw that maybe there was a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. And after that, basically, I mean, it's still been much more difficult than anything else I could imagine. But at least I could make a living off of it, you know. And uh, it just keeps getting better because. Uh, you know, more people are calling you. You get more into your craft, and it's uh, it, but it's still sort of like a coin toss. You know, nobody calls you, or you don't do a casting. You know, you're not going to get work. You're always unemployed. You know. And again, season five of Better Call Saul Monday nights, nine Eastern, eight local time on AMC. And uh, of course, Tony, I know that you got to appreciate the opportunity for <clears throat> the streaming and uh, the instant gratification of, of folks being able to to check out the show uh, on demand as well. Yeah, well, actually, you know, I mean, a hell of a lot more people now are sitting in their house watching TV. So, I, I guess that for for TV shows or for actors, I mean, it's uh, it's sort of uh, <clears throat> a time where people are going to see more of your work than they would normally, you know? So it's uh, it's sort of a double-edged sword. I mean, you want this to go to get over with and finish up and everybody goes back to their normal lives. But on the other hand, it's like it's great that people are watching it, you know? And again, uh, AMC Season 5 Better Call Saul continues. And Tony, always want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can keep up with everything you've got going on on social media as well. Uh, yeah, well, I have, a Instagram. <clears throat> I have an Instagram account. It's uh, Daltonico with a Y. And, um, and then on my Twitter, those are the only basically two uh, things I have. All right. Well, Tony, it's been great to visit with you this week. Uh, stay safe, and hopefully we can visit again real soon. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time, guys. You tell you too. Stay safe out there. Our next guest takes us back a couple years, December 2018, actually, the release of her first holiday single, singer, Taylor Dane. First off, Taylor, thanks so much for your time this morning. Oh, my pleasure. Hi. Now, you you got a new Christmas song, and uh, it's now available on iTunes, and tour dates coming up, uh, a memoir in the in the works as well. And Taylor, how how busy has it been getting prepared for this season? <laughs> Big year. Now, tell the folks about the uh, I, I've got my love to keep me warm. Tell us about uh, the new single. Well, I mean, first first time I've ever released a Christmas song. I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, classic Irving Berlin, uh, producer I worked with, uh, incredible producer, Lauren Wilde, um, produced for some of, some of the greats for uh, Rod Stewart, you know, some of his classic standards and uh, Cher. And uh, you can hear it in this, this produce, production and recording. It's warm, it's lush, the strings, it's just very, very, I don't know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's very, very warm and loving. And um, I'm so proud of it, and it's a great way to cap off a, a pretty incredible year. Spent spent the year touring and 
behind it on my 30-year anniversary, and it's not over yet um, for Tell It To My Heart, and the release is beginning in my career. So I'm out there. There you go. And speaking of uh, Tell It To My Heart, the upcoming memoir, what was was that a, a labor of love, or was it one that was uh, a little more painful to put down on paper? <laughs> no, it's been, there's been moments of pain, I mean, for sure, but... You know, traveling backwards, you know, oftentimes, you know, this, this, this idea of an autobiography and memoir is usually a moment in time. Uh, this has been more autobiographical, um, but it really was um, inspired by my TED Talk. You know, I did TED Women. Um, and nobody, you have to be living under a rock if you haven't noticed between what's been going on with women uniting our voices, women in, in music, women in, in the entertainment industry, and there's just been never more of a time where I felt was the right time. Um, coming at 30 years um, in a predominantly male, male-dominated male business and, quite frankly, um, loving my voice, but not so sure that what I had to say was often heard, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an important time for, uh, for me to share what was behind, you know, what was behind the, the music. The, the literal voice, as Tig Notaro would say, and I've, you know, and it's been a special year, and I felt 30 years, this marks the time, it's, I'm ready. And, and Taylor, what are the, the biggest differences that you see in the industry today as opposed to uh, the 30 years ago when you came in, and are the, are the advancements uh, as much as you would have expected over that time? Yeah, I see incredible, of course, I love it. I mean, listen, you have a, you have artists that speak to each other, that we can, people that have direct access and, con- you know, in, in, in contextually, that's incredible, where before it was like you had to go through the machine. So it's artists come together. There's a unified, we speak to each other. I DM people. Like, I, I understand this, this process never before, what social media has allowed us to do, what the Internet has, has brought us so much closer together. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly on that, you know. <clears throat> Spotify, streaming, our playlists, everything. I mean, we are so much farther along and able to control the information that comes into us, except it seems almost out of, out of control at times because there's so much. There's so much out there available. So it's, you know, there's the good and the bad. But, you know, I'm a parent. I'm a single mom. I'm also a woman that's navigated through this industry for 30 years. So I had a lot to say, and plus it's Valentine's Day. And if one thing I'm synonymous with is love, passion, and the heart. God knows. Every damn title has it. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you made a little money with, uh, with, with that whole theme, didn't you? I mean, it, I, this is what, in my TED Talk, this is why I, 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 I urge people to watch my TED Talk so you kind of get an idea of where the book, where the book, you know, the challenges we all, we all meet, everybody has something or some things. Um, but I have to say, every title, prove your love, tell you to my heart, love will lead you back, I'll always love you. <laughs> you know, let me beat of my heart. Is there like, uh, don't, I, the only title I could think of was Don't Rush Me. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, or I'll be your shelter. I was like, how many hits did I put out that had like heart, love? Jesus, it was crazy. I think there's still a, a couple that are still available, so, uh, so maybe we'll work on that. Maybe no. there might be one or two of right? <laughs> now, now Taylor, it. It, as the, the holiday season's on us, what are, what are maybe some of your favorite traditions that you still hold true to? Well, I just wrapped the Colors of Christmas tour, which has become, you know, such a staple. In, in, you know, what an enjoyable, beautiful thing for, you know, a Colors of Christmas, literally. Again, united, 
voices coming together of Peebo Bryson. This year was Peebo Bryson, uh, Denise Williams, John Sakata. You know, the four of us unified, beautiful duet, duetting on our hits, but mostly, you know, Christmas classics, holiday classics. It's incredible. For me, traditionally, as you know, I'm a mom now. I have 16 year olds, I have twins. And uh, so we'll go back east. I live in Los Angeles now. We'll go back to New York and visit with friends and family and, and catch up and, and actually um, enjoy this, this downtime to be with family and friends and grateful, really grateful for the year. This 30-year anniversary is marked, you know, really gave me a lot of time to reflect. And finishing this book up will be the biggest reward of all. That's awesome. Well, Taylor, I uh, always want to like, make sure that our listeners know where they can keep up with everything you've got going on and, and like you mentioned, social media as well. Well, just look up Taylor Dane. And that, guys, it's D-A-Y-N-E. For those that are still going with the D-A-N-E, you're going to find probably maybe a porn star this time. Who knows? <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> the real Taylor Dane. Here you go. There you go. Taylor. All social media. It'll let you, it'll, it'll take you into, yeah, there's pre-orders now for the book. The book's up, pre-order, Barnes and Nobles, and uh, pre-orders are going up for the Valentine's release. That's and awesome. And the single, yeah, the new song. All right. Um, I've got my love to keep you warm, to keep me warm. That is uh, Taylor Dane. Again, Taylor, thank you so much for your time this morning, and uh, happy thank holidays. You. Thank you. Happy holidays. And our final guest, country music superstar Travis Tritt. We talk about the release of his live album from February 2017. Travis, first off, thank you so much for taking some time to be on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, now, Travis, when you got started in the uh, in the late '80s, early '90s, onto the to the mainstream stage, obviously, uh, you were kind of out there with uh, Clint Garth and uh, and so many other artists that totally kind of reimagined what country music would be. And what were your thoughts coming into the uh, coming in, and obviously having the the southern rock kind of background? Well, you know, I was part of that group that you just mentioned. Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, Clint Black, and myself were uh, all uh, releasing our first singles right around the same time in 1989. And together, we all had so much of an impact on the music, uh, uh, country music world, that uh, the media started giving us a nickname. They just called us the Class of 89. And we had a chance, all of us together, to uh, create a wave that we all had the opportunity to ride uh, for many, many years. It's It's been, uh, uh, this is my 28th year now of, of being a part of uh, of the country music world. And to to realize that our, the guys from our era had more to do with bringing more listeners to country music than had ever listened to it before. Uh, at that time, uh, we sold more records than had ever been sold in country music before. We put more fannies in country music concerts than had ever been there before. And it just, it's, it's really been amazing to look back and realize uh, just what kind of an impact all of us had together. We're, I, I know speaking for me, and I'm sure speaking for them as well, all of us are just extremely grateful that we've had so much uh audience enthusiasm over the years it's it's been wonderful 
And do you think, uh, do you ascribe your success to being so genuine as you are on stage and in person with the listeners and and, and to the uh, to the to the concert goers as well? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the thing that keeps me going is is getting out and and doing live performance. I love every aspect. I love writing songs. I love recording, going in the studio. But the fact is, is the live performance that that big ball of energy that goes back and forth between the stage and the crowd and it's just uh it's something that's it's one of the most addictive things i've ever ever experienced in my life and uh, it's it's so so nice to have that outpouring of love from the audience every night when you get a chance to go out there and play those songs and they sing them back to you they know every single word to every single song that you do and also, it's been really interesting for me because in the last few years, I've noticed a tremendous amount of some of the younger people that might not have been as familiar with the music when it first came out, or they may not have even been born then. But we're having a lot more of the uh, younger audiences that are coming out and listening to the stuff that we're doing, too. So it's, it's extremely gratifying for me. I, I just have a blast with it. So why is it that you never went with the cowboy hat? Did you ever try behind the scenes and just like, I, I just don't have the head for it? Is that what it was? No. Back then, I, I, I looked at it like this. Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, Clint Black, all those guys wore hats. And they were all clean cut. Meanwhile, I had hair down, you know, past my chest. And uh, I wore a lot of leather. And I had all my hair, so I figured, why do I want to cover that up? <laughs> and uh, I know that you're a fan of sports. And, and my question for you, you, you talk about getting up uh, on stage. Do you have any superstitions before you go out for a show? I really don't. Uh, I, I have a... Uh, I have a tradition of, of what I do every single night before I get ready to go on stage, and that is uh, uh, I pour myself uh, a shot glass full of uh, uh, apple cider moonshine, and uh, I go out and, and play and have a blast. That's right. And, of course, uh, the, the new album, A Man and His Guitar, live from the Franklin Theater. And how much fun was it to put that together and and to, to put that live performance out there for folks that maybe haven't had the chance to see you live in person? Well, you know, uh, I started doing those solo acoustic shows uh, about six years ago. And um, I really I, re- I kind of rejected the idea of doing it that way. Um for a long, long time. Most of the touring that I do, I still do about 150 shows a year, and most of them are with my band. I've got a wonderful group of musicians that I travel around with and get to play music with most every night. But anytime that uh, I went out and did those solo acoustic shows, the response was just phenomenal. And I still only do about probably 30 or 35 of those a year but every time I get a chance to do them I always look forward to them because to me being in a in a setting like that where it's just me and a guitar on stage nothing else no band nothing else um and a room full of people it it doesn't feel like a show to me it it, those shows feel much more like just kind of sitting around in my living room playing music for my family and friends and also gives me an opportunity to kind of tell some stories about how certain songs were written 
or about some of the relationships that I've had over the years with uh, with people that a lot of uh, uh, country music fans would recognize, people like Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, uh, people like that that were almost like second fathers to me when I was when I was coming up in the, in the business. And who was it that had the biggest influence on your musical styles? Obviously, you had some southern rock, but 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 definitely some of the classic country as well. Oh yeah, I mean, I grew up listening to my dad and I used to listen to the Grand Ole Opry every Saturday night, and I had heroes, you know, people that I didn't even know at that time what some of them looked like, but I knew what they sounded like, and uh, you know, all the all the classics. I mean, George Jones, Merle Haggard. Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Conway Twitty, Tammy Wynette, uh, Loretta Lynn—people like that. Uh, those were the, those were the staples in in my house when I was a kid, and they influenced me a lot. Probably, though, more than anybody. And this this might surprise some people, but probably uh, the most influential person uh, that that had more to do with what I sound like when I sing than anybody else is Ray Charles. And I had the opportunity a few few years back to uh, to get to know Ray, and we actually we did a, a, a CMT Crossroads special together. And uh, he and I became very good friends, and that was, that was just a thrill of a lifetime for me because he has more to do with what I sound like when I sing than anybody else. That's right. Well, again, the uh, the album A Man and His Guitar, live from the Franklin Theater. Be sure and pick up a copy of that. Yeah, again, thank you so much for taking some time to be on the show this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us for this 57th episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, question, anything else you'd like to know, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at GQ with Cam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, go ahead and click the support tab and follow the instructions. If you have a special guest idea, go ahead and email gqwithcam at gmail.com. Again, thanks so much to our good friend Brandon Allen came up with the theme music for Good Questions with Cameron Dole. We'll let him play that extended outro as we head out. Next episode, episode 58, will be back on Wednesday.